0: Engine running. <laughs>
1: Absolute
0: genius.
2: Get this. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> this is the show where we bring you science. That what that essentially means is. Discovery is. Advances. Advances. Questions. Research. Technology. Unbelievable. Without further ado, <laughs> this is The Naked Scientist. Hello, welcome to this week's Naked scientists the programme that brings you the latest breakthroughs in science, technology and medicine. I'm Chris Smith, and our topic today is sure to gain a lot of traction with you, our listeners, and that's because we're going to talk about the state of our roads. Potholes are so maddening, they can send the most mild-mannered of us into full-blown road rage, crack windscreens and even wreck our wheels. And the problem seems to be getting worse. Luckily, researchers at Cambridge University are coming to the road users' rescue. With digital facsimiles of the road network to help spot problem areas sooner, new materials that can make road repairs last a lot longer, and even autonomous robots that can track down and fix up potholes before they ruin your tyres. From Cambridge University's Institute of Continuing Education, this is The Naked Scientists. So to begin this week, confident that they'd share our frustrations about the state of our roads, we put a call into the AA, the Automobile Association, who, among other things, campaign on behalf of road users. Naked scientist James Titko spoke with their president, Edmund King.
3: The scale of the pothole problem is absolutely massive. At the AA last year alone, we actually dealt with 632,000 pothole-related incidents. So that's where a car has hit a pothole, it's damaged the tyre, it's damaged the wheel, it's damaged the suspension, and it can cost thousands and thousands of pounds for individuals. In fact, we looked at all the breakdowns across the year. And we actually predicted that if you looked across the UK as a whole, it would have cost drivers at least half a billion pounds in repairs. And that can be anything from £200 for a new tyre to £4,000 for new suspension.
1: Yeah, that's a staggering number you've been able to reach that, And I suppose it's impossible to then calculate the cumulative disruption to people's journeys, the time lost as a result, the knock-on to the economy, that number's likely to be even far greater?
3: Well, indeed, if you look at industry across the board, one in 10 people in the UK are reliant on vans for their work, for getting around, and obviously vans, like other vehicles, suffer from potholes. The other thing that actually, ironically, makes it worse is that most vehicles today don't have a spare tyre. So if you hit a pothole, get a puncture, it obviously takes longer, and it is more expensive to get it repaired. Whereas in in the old days, when you had a spare tyre, that could be quite a quick fix. And one of the issues is that local authorities do go out there, they do fill in potholes, but often it is just a quick fix. And it's a false economy, because if that pothole is not resurfaced properly, that pothole will appear and reappear very often. So we kind of got together with British Cycling, with the British Motorcyclist Council, and indeed some of the road repairers like JCB. And we've been calling upon government, not just for more funds, but for more permanent repairs. And there is kit out there, there's a JCB Pothole Pro that can kind of cut, clean, and fill potholes in a much more permanent manner so that they don't reappear the next month or six months later or, or a year later. And that's what we need in the UK. We need a different approach to filling the potholes on our roads.
1: It's become a very politicised issue, this hasn't it? There's not a year goes by where the Chancellor of whatever political affiliation makes some grand pledge in the annual budget announcement to spend more money on fixing potholes. But the problem just seems to be getting worse.
3: Well, indeed, you know, we've had, if you look over the last five years, we've had various emergency pothole funds of 50 million, 100 million. Recently, the prime minister announced 8.3 billion pounds would go into potholes and fixing the roads. Now, that sounds like a brilliant figure, a very big figure. But when you analyse the detail, when you break it down, you will see that that is over 10, 11 years, and most of the money is is back-ended for the end of that period. Yes, we need more money, but the money needs to be ring-fenced. What what you often find with various local authorities, they, they have money allocated to them from the Department for Transport, but towards the end of the year, when other services are under pressure, the road maintenance money is the first to give away, and that goes into other funds. So we want all the money that's allocated to be ring-fenced. And we also want the local authorities, the highway authorities, to look at more permanent fixes rather than this patchwork approach that doesn't really work.
2: Edmund King from the AA. So how can technology ease the misery for road users everywhere? Well, interestingly, maybe the key to solving the problem is us road users ourselves, because these days modern cars are brimming with sensors, making measurements about almost every aspect of the way the vehicle is performing, and, crucially, the condition of the road that it's driving over, how wet it is, how hot it is, and even how bumpy it is, during every journey that we make. Now at the moment, all this data resides with the car manufacturers. But researchers like Cambridge University's Ioannis Brilakis are working on ways to marshal that data into forms that can be used to keep roads in better shape going forwards. This is the Digital Roads of the Future project, and the vision is to create a digital twin of the road network, updated constantly by data from drivers, and used to spot the areas where potholes and other defects are beginning to develop and need attention before they become a major problem.
4: Mercedes is already doing this quite effectively. They have contracts in place with the Netherlands and Sweden and recently with the TfL to provide such information to the whole country in the case of Netherlands and Sweden. But the rest of the car sector is waking up to this and we can see Jaguar, Land Rover, Ford and other businesses trying to get into that functionality. Is this part of their business model? then, where previously
2: their business was they made a car and sold it to you and made money once and then made some money out of spare parts and and a bit of servicing. Now they've got this amazing sensor network
4: on wheels. Is that where it's going? Yeah, I, I think Elon Musk showed the way when it comes to this by effectively positioning Tesla as a data company. All the other companies are trying to do the same because they understood there's a lot more value in using their own customers, the drivers as data collectors rather than just simply selling the cars. And this is what's happening. Mercedes is becoming a data company. They're making now probably a good part of their revenue through selling the data that comes through their customer vehicles. And this is only going to grow. How much data are they collecting? If I remember well, it depends on the car company. But from what I know from Mercedes, it's about 25 gigabytes per hour per vehicle. Of course, this is not all stored. Only the useful extracted information is sent onto a Mercedes cloud. And then Mercedes sections off that information into different categories and sells that as separate packages. And is the world ready
2: to receive this sort of information? Because that's one of the other projects that you've been working on here at the University of Cambridge, isn't it? That All this data can only be used if we've got a way of deploying it and interpreting it.
4: That's where we started uh, with the Digital Roads program. Going back to the example we've used, Mercedes, they are producing all this data, but our strategic road network, National Highways, is simply not able to receive it. And this is because of the growing gap between the technologies on cars and the car industry versus the technology on the infrastructure side. If we think about it, since the 1980s to today, cars have evolved from mechanical pieces to sensors on wheels, whereas infrastructure is still just as dumb as it used to be 40 years ago. Well, that doesn't fly. It doesn't work in the future. If we want to create modern infrastructure that's suitable for autonomous vehicles, we need to make that jump on the infrastructure side as well. Government can help by creating the kind of data set that can help all the car companies at the same time, digital twins. The biggest value of digital twins is forecasting and forensics, looking back in time and looking forward in time. As I'm driving my car, I want to anticipate, predict, understand what might happen in the next five seconds, 10 minutes as I drive ahead. And so if the car is reporting to the cloud that the road is slippery and it is wet and it is nighttime, then the cloud can look at that information, run a simulation and say that given this information, you need to slow down. Otherwise, you have a very high chance for an accident. So will your ultimate
2: product be something that can marshal all of this data, put it into a format that then anyone can use in the way you've been describing? So you're you're the sort of middleman here.
4: I I could be wrong, but if I recall correctly, uh, the data set that National Highways currently has has a value of well over 40 or 60 billion pounds, and we need to unleash the power of that data set. We need to get to a point where this is not all hidden for the use of very few people, but it's actually become public, like the infrastructure, the physical infrastructure is public, for everyone to benefit. That's what we're trying to enable. In our use case, following the maintenance path, we're trying to leverage the value from the inspection from the cars into the digital twins, make predictions based on the information we receive. For example, if we have a really large pothole, that's a safety risk. We need to fix it right away. Whereas if it's a little crack, that's something we can then put in next year's maintenance schedule.
2: Ioannis Brilakis there from the University of Cambridge and stay tuned to hear how James got on exploring on his own two feet the digital twin that Ioannis and his team have developed with their data. This is The Naked Scientist with me Chris Smith and today we're probing the problem of potholes. We've been hearing about the impressive data collecting capabilities of our cars and how they can build a good overall picture of where the potential potholes might form before they become car wrecking craters. But while better identifying damage to the roads will be a great help, it's pointless if we don't have the means to repair roads properly as well. And this is where our next guest and her team come in. Abir Al-Tabar is based at the University of Cambridge's Engineering Department. She's trying to find ways to solve two sets of problems. The short-term issue of how to repair potholes right now and in a way that lasts for a reasonable length of time by improving the materials we work with. And she's also got researchers working on ways to make surfaces more resilient in the future by embedding sensors into roads so they can self-report on their status. And they're even looking at implanting radiators to keep road surfaces warm in winter so they don't crack in the first place. And that saves money on salt, grit and repair materials. But what's the bugbear we're all worried about?
5: A pothole is damage that is caused in asphalt pavements because it occurs when you get freezing and thawing and normally water will get into the asphalt either through cracks or from the soil underneath. That will expand, the asphalt will also expand and then the next morning when you get the thawing it will move down or contract, and that repeated process will eventually make the crack form into a pothole. Normally, you see the pothole growing quickly because of traffic.
2: And is that just because once you've broken down the integrity of the road surface, it's just weak and there's not so much binding things together?
5: Yes, that's, that's the problem with asphalt, is the weak bonding between the, the aggregates. So the black stuff is basically bitumen, which comes from petroleum.
2: And that's the binder, that's what's sticking it together? Correct. Is asphalt the majority of what we use?
5: Correct. Most of our roads are asphalt pavements, particularly local roads. On the motorways, a number of these are concrete, but even at that national level, I believe only 4% of the strategic road network is concrete.
2: And are they equally susceptible to potholes or is one worse than the other?
5: Definitely one is worse than the other. Potholes only occur in asphalt pavements. Concrete is far more durable and resilient. Concrete is more, a lot more expensive, takes much longer to build, but mostly it is much noisier. Noise is a big problem on concrete roads.
2: So our challenge at the moment then is that the vast majority of our road stock is made of asphalt, is susceptible to potholing, has got bad
6: potholing and therefore is in dire need of repair.
5: Yes, that's correct.
6: My name is Damien Palin. I'm a senior researcher here at Cambridge working with uh, Abir. We're looking at various strategies to enhance the performance of existing road materials on the road network.
2: Abir told us that in asphalt there is a binder, the tar, the bitumen that sticks everything together, and then stones, hard bits. What can you add then that makes that a better and more resilient road surface than what we have already?
6: One of the kind of what you might call a low hanging fruit option is to add fibers. By adding fibers to the bitumen, you can improve its fatigue performance. When you say fibers, do you think you mean things like
2: threads of cotton, that kind of thing, that sort of scale?
6: Indeed, could be. We're not using uh, natural fibers or, or cotton, we're looking more so at using maybe like glass fibers, steel fibers. By adding something like glass fibers, you are taking over tensile loads you're restricting the movement of the bitumen and therefore creating a stronger material. We're seeing 20% improvement of compressive strength and we're seeing a similar kind of level of improvement in terms of tensile strength.
2: The thing that really bothers the people who have to repair roads and critically the people who have to pay for people to repair roads is the bottom line. Uh What does this add in terms of cost and what do you recoup through not having to repair quite so often if this does what you think it's going to?
6: Indeed well this, this is a kind of a very interesting question so we're, we're, we're now kind of thinking about whole life performance. The repair material itself is a kind of a small cost, it's actually the closing of the road that's the big cost and so some people project that it could be 10 times the cost to close the road in terms of economic value than not closing the road. So that's what we're really trying to save on, is better repair material, don't close the roads as much. Let's hope you're right. Well, one of the other things we can do more long-term
2: is to try to invest in ways that we can make roads better at telling us what's wrong with them in the first place and how they actually do go wrong so we know better how to fix them and also make better materials that will last the distance in the first place.
0: Hi, I'm uh, Shri Priya Rangaraju. I'm a senior researcher. I'm uh, looking at implementing different kind of sensors to understand what is really happening in terms of road infrastructure. Longevity will help us to go for a longer duration without any intervention for repair, and thus low carbon. So, one of our key motivation is to implement different kind of sensors so we understand what is the threshold at which we need the intervention to happen.
2: When you say sensors, do you literally mean we put electronic devices into the road surface and they're telling us what condition the road's in? It's a bit like me implanting a a device into my body to tell me what my heart's doing.
0: It is similar to that. We have a different kind of sensors. One, we can embed it in the infrastructure, and some can be, on the surface, they can be mounted later for monitoring.
2: What sorts of information can the sensors give you, and how do they actually work? What are they measuring?
0: One is monitoring temperature, humidity, the freeze-thaw kind of thing, and how much even water stagnates on the road surface. And then there are other kinds of sensors which can monitor the stress development in the material. So whether the vehicular movement is causing some stress and what kind of vehicular movement is causing that kind of stress.
2: That would tell you a lot about how a road surface is coping with all the different challenges we're throwing at it. What about the other aspiration that Abir and Damien have both mentioned, which is making people who have to repair roads a bit less busy, roads that can repair themselves? Because we can do that for concrete. We can make materials that will heal a crack in concrete. Can we do that for asphalt?
0: There are a lot of research now ongoing for self-healing asphalt also. One of the things we can do is we can have um, heated ribbons. When it snows, what happens is the bitumen and the aggregate contracts. And because of that, there will be a crack formation. But when you have a heated ribbon in place, this contraction will not happen.
2: It's almost immunising a road against cracks and potholes, isn't it? Because if the road stays warmer the mechanism of getting water in, ice formation, cracking it, doesn't happen in the first place. And the warmth presumably means the stuff stays more flexible.
0: Yes, exactly. That is the mechanism what we are targeting at. Can we use the existing roads and make it last longer? That is the idea.
2: So roads that repair themselves, that is quite a vision, isn't it? Thank you very much to Abir Al-Tabar there and her research team for walking me through their work. Now, as Ioannis was explaining earlier, he's working on a system that will harness real-time data collected by cars to produce a digital twin of the road network, complete with all of its potholes and other imperfections. The idea being, of course, that the highways agency responsible for making repairs then know where to focus their efforts, and even, as we'll hear in a minute, where to deploy autonomous robotic repair vehicles to fix problems at the earlier stages before they become a nuisance. So what might this digital twin look like? Well, these computerised replicas of the physical world can allow workers to actually, in virtual reality, walk along sections of road and inspect the surface for any defects. They've got a mock-up of the system in operation and James got strapped in to take a wander down a section of a major A road near Colchester.
1: Well, I've been very lucky to be shown a demonstration of what the data collecting capabilities of the cars on our roads are able to produce in the virtual world. So if I can get you to imagine, I've put on a VR headset. I'm in something akin to a a giant baby walker. And beneath my feet are sensors, so that when I move my feet along the surface of them, I'm moving my character in this virtual world. And the VR headset's giving me the capability of looking around, observing my surroundings. In this particular demonstration, I'm on a stretch of the A12, where there are a number of points of data interesting to national highways, I expect. There's information about a pothole that's formed in this part of the road. Road signs have been rendered in for me. And as I look around and explore this virtual reality, I'm starting to get to grips with what the... The sensors on wheels, as they've been described to us, are actually able to give the companies for their repair purposes, etc. I can run around without getting run over as well. There's no cars on the road, which is a blessing, to be honest, because I don't think I'd survive long out here. Yeah, yeah just... Snug.
7: <laughs>
1: so the technology's back in the hands of the professionals, I'm glad to say.
7: I'm a doctor, Lilia Patsuluka. I'm a research fellow, investor research fellow in Digital Twins. So this is the data set collected from A12 section of road. So what we're hoping to achieve in the future, traffic maintenance professionals would be able to get this data real time and be able to use it to predict what would happen next mm-hmm. and which section of road to prioritize for repair.
1: The Virtual reality section of the A12 we're wandering around in today, where's the data come from exactly to build this digital twin?
7: So currently it's been collected by Cork, who is a contractor to national highways.
1: So the idea will be that we'll be getting more data from the actual sensors on the cars that's being uploaded in vast quantities, as we were hearing about earlier.
7: Yes, from this data, we could get the best use to create the most realistic virtual environment that we can. Mm -hmm. What we are planning to achieve is for software to be able to create a semantic segmentation of the data. So the traffic officers don't need to search for the defects themselves on the road. Software will be able to identify it for them.
2: Lilia Pozzoluco there from the University of Cambridge. Now, as we mentioned earlier, once we have a working digital twin for the highways, we can potentially deploy van-sized autonomous repair vehicles, not dissimilar actually to the machines exploring Mars right now, to track down defects and then put them right, and hopefully without coning off too many lanes or too many sets of temporary traffic lights into the bargain. Richard Anvo is developing the pothole repairing robot and he talked about the aspiration to me
8: robotic platform to be able to fix roads automatically, fixing potholes or cracks. So we're looking at the scale of a van holding all the equipment from a robotic side do the repair automatically.
2: I suppose it must be similar to the sorts of problems that are being solved to explore Mars. We've got autonomous vehicles following instructions but they're largely self-directed going and doing things to a surface, drilling taking samples and so on there must be many commonalities there.
8: Yeah I think uh, here the vehicle looks similar but in the first place you drive the vehicle to where you need to repair so the digital twin to the robotic system go to this area there are some defects to be repaired and from there we do the work automatically can clean the surface you will be able to Reparch the cracks, also fixing the pothole and do the lay marking at the same time.
2: Is anyone doing this anywhere else in the world yet?
8: Do you have any kind of lead to follow or are you pioneering this? A lot of research are going on but from now I think our system is unique because it comes with the digital twin at the same time so it's not just the robotic system only.
2: If you can get this to work, what sort of a difference can this make?
8: Yeah, it will make a huge difference because it will save a lot of money and time. This one will tell exactly what to fix and uh, where to fix.
2: And how long, dare I ask, and don't say five to ten years, because everyone says five to ten years, how long before we probably will see these things trundling down the road and
8: repairing all the potholes? Tell me tomorrow. <laughs> I think we can say soon. We're talking about in a couple of years, but yeah.
2: So it's coming, but we're going to have to be patient. Yes, I think. Richard Anvo from the University of Cambridge. And it seems like the work that experts here are doing to fix our highways could come in very, very handy with reports of more pothole problems emerging in Glasgow and Cheltenham over the last few days. Fed-up residents in Nottingham, meanwhile, have even organised a Love Your Potholes party to draw attention to them. It could be a very long and winding road for this story, couldn't it? how many more winters are we going to have to endure before those responsible for our roads are going to get on top of this issue when will the long-term science-driven strategy that delivers roads resistant to the constant re-emergence of the same potholes finally come into force well hopefully we've given you some reasons to be relatively optimistic about a world without potholes but we are going to have to be patient let's hope with spring signaling the end of the pothole season for 2024 here in the uk it's not all blue sky thinking that's it for this week do join us at the same time next week though when our focus is going to shift towards cybercrime with a wave of cyber attacks on large organizations including cambridge university where we work we look at the different kinds of cybercrime who are the most vulnerable targets and what companies and individuals can do to keep themselves safe The Naked Scientist comes to you from the University of Cambridge's Institute of Continuing Education. It is supported by Rolls-Royce. I'm Chris Smith, and from everyone here at The Naked Scientist, thank you for listening, and until next time, goodbye.